You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. This morning I wanted to open up by sharing a little story. You might not know this about me, but I spent five months in uh, Uruguay. It's a little country just south of Brazil, wedged in by the Rio de la Plata. On the other side of the Rio de la Plata is, is a country called Argentina, fairly well known. And they have a little rivalry because both countries claim to be the origin of the, of the tango dance. And uh, it's an interesting, I, you see my little dance move? Do you know what my mom, my mom loves dancing. My mom was actually a professional dancer when she was young, and she was a professional ballroom dancer. And uh, so literally when I was growing up, my mom was the Swiffer mom, if you've ever seen that Swiffer commercial, where she's like dancing through the house Swiffering stuff. That was literally my mother doing like the cha-cha, like as she's vacuuming. But um, anyhow, side note, Uruguay, I'm not talking about dancing, I'm talking about Uruguay. Um, when I was there, I was teaching English in a, in a rural area. It was called Minas de Corrales, and it was a community that was a mining town. And uh, literally mining, uh, like a real mining town, like literally right outside the town, on my way to work every day, I had a 45-minute walk. And I could see the quarries that they were digging out of the hillside uh, where they were excavating minerals and... and uh, it was an interesting sight. But when I was there, I was primarily working at this agricultural school teaching English. And we had kind of a cool class because the kids would come in and stay in these dormitories. And they'd be there for a week. And then the next week, we'd have a new cycle of, of kids come through. And these kids were mostly farming kids and ranchers' kids. And Uruguay has a very big cattle industry. I don't know if you knew this about Uruguay. But uh, cattle, I think, is maybe the two or third largest economic driver of their nation. And it's a big part of the culture there. They have their own rodeos. And I grew up in Calgary, the home of the greatest outdoor show on earth called the Calgary Stampede. And so I was familiar with those types of events. But they do it very different there. They, they don't have cowboys. They have gauchos. They're like a South American cowboy. And I got to work with some of these very unique characters. Um, if you've ever seen a gaucho, I should have brought a picture. They wear these long leather boots up to their knees, and they wear these little, like, French hats. And these old-fashioned shirts that you'd see, like, if you're watching Pride and Prejudice, and the man takes off his jacket, and he has the big fluffy sleeves that, you know, stick out with the lace, lacing up on his chest. And it's literally like he stepped right out of the 1600s or something, these guys. But... Um, Anyhow, um, when I was out there at this agricultural school, an old farmer a few years before had donated a pile of land, and they had donated hundreds of head of sheep and cattle to the school. And so this was a learning opportunity for the students that they spent half their hours every day inside the classroom, learning the basic things that they needed to, to know to graduate from high school. And uh, the rest of it, they got to spend out in the fields, either doing organic farming, working with sheep, working with cattle. And so for a little while, I got to be almost like a cowboy. I got to go out with the students. We'd ride horses, and we'd go out through the field to the pasture land, and we'd um, 
you know, do the odd counts or go with the sheepdogs. And sometimes we'd have to corral the sheep into a little area. And I'd never seen a sheep up close before in my life. I don't know if you lived somewhere growing up where you saw lots of sheep. I never, I don't think I'd ever seen a sheep, touched a sheep before I got to Uruguay. And they're kind of dirty. I didn't, wasn't my thing really. But we'd corral them up and we'd get them in the corral and we'd have to check their feet, make sure that there's nothing in their, their little hooves. We'd have to check in their ears to make sure there weren't any bugs in there, you know, causing them issues in their ears. And we'd have to clip, they had these little computer chips that we'd put into their ear that basically kept a record of what pasture land they'd fed in and who their parents were and that kind of thing. Because um, after the whole mad cow scare, um, we kind of had a bit of it there. Uruguay had it as well, and the European market shut down all exports from Uruguay uh, to Europe. And so they created this new system of tracking their animals really, really well, actually. It's very accurate. But um, what was interesting was being around sheep. You know, they're, they're interesting creatures. They, um, they like to hang out in groups, but not exclusively. If the grass looks a little greener on the other side of the pasture, they'll wander over there. And, um, you know, I know we'd go and collect, and no matter how often we'd go and we'd check on them, there was always some that would seem to go off on their own and disappear from the rest of the herd. And... Um, Fortunately for us, we had these awesome sheepdogs that would go out, and I don't know if they could just like smell them in the air or what, but they'd just take off in the field, and we'd basically just follow behind on our horses, and they'd lead us right to where the sheep were, and we could collect them and bring them back to the corral. You know, we actually had a baby lamb in our backyard. We, I lived with a host family. There was a young kid named Maiko and Roberto and their mother, Rosita, and in the backyard, I was only there for a couple of days, and this, one of the sons brought home this lamb, this little baby lamb, and I thought it was the cutest thing. And so one of the chores that they gave me was to feed this lamb. And so every day, I'd wake up in the morning, and this little boy would come to the door right across the street. This lady had a cow, and they'd literally milk the cow and put the milk in a bucket, and the little boy would come over, and uh, we'd pour it into uh, basically a one-and-a-half-liter Coke bottle that had this modified nipple on the end, and we'd... And I'd go out and I'd feed this, this little lamb. And I thought it was wonderful and I was caring for this lamb. It was almost like my little pet. Until I found out that this lamb was actually purchased for Christmas supper. And um, I was a little bit disappointed because I'm looking at this cute little lamb that I've been tending to and it was about to be slaughtered. But in the process of being there and working around sheep and, and herding these sheep and pulling all sorts of stuff out of their hooves and chicken scraping gross stuff out of their ears. I did learn a few things um, that I didn't expect to learn. And I guess it, they say it could be uh, helpful maybe being a pastor. You know, one of the, the things that they talk about is being pastors is being a shepherd of people. But... Um, You know, this, as I was reflecting on the scripture that I'm going to share today, I was just reflecting on this experience that I had. And, you know, whenever you're working with sheep, they can be unpredictable. There were a couple times that this one sheep got really angry at me and started headbutting me. And that wasn't very fun. I was running away like a, I made everybody laugh. 
once in a while, you know, like a sheep would get upset and bite you. It wasn't very fun. Um, but it was, it was really rewarding at the end. At the end, and you know, the, the, one, the one day there was this one sheep and it had something in its ear and I could identify it in the, in the corral. And, and one day they were, I was asked to go out with a wheelbarrow and collect one male and one female. So I go, okay, so I go out there and I collect the one male and female. And what, unbeknownst to me, they were putting a knife in my hand. It was my job to slaughter these lambs. And I thought it was a little ironic after because the one that bit me was the one that I chose. And I knew because it had a chunk taken out of its ear. And, um, but anyhow, it, that was an interesting experience, um, having to then slaughter the sheep that you're taking care of. Attending to, checking, you know, watching its health, taking care of it, and now it's a meal. But God doesn't eat his sheep. Whew. Good to know. But like sheep, people sometimes need a shepherd. And the amazing thing is that God is the great shepherd. He is a shepherd who loves his flock who has, looks out at the people that are already his, and he loves them. And then he looks at those who are not quite yet in his flock, and he loves them. And he is drawing those sheep into his fold. And he is pursuing them and seeking after them. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at Luke uh, 15, to 7 this morning. And... Um, at the story here, Jesus is, is teaching, and um, we'll just start off right with the scripture. It says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him, him being Jesus. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. I love this about Jesus, that he could see people's intentions. He could see the motivation of their heart. He could read their mind. He knew what they were thinking. And his response often to people was to, one, either ask a question or, two, to tell a story. And a parable is simply a story that alludes to a spiritual principle. It's a way of teaching about the kingdom of God and the reality of who God is and the kingdom of God in our life through a story. We'll see here at the beginning that Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors. He's hanging out with sinners. And the religious elite of the day, who are the scribes here and the Pharisees that are described, are offended. You know, and routinely throughout, we see throughout Scripture that the spiritual elites were often offended, disgruntled, and infuriated by the things that Jesus did, the things that Jesus said, and the things that he didn't do. You know, he broke the status quo. He broke many of the customs that they lived by. He challenged their motivations and what was in their heart. And he often highlighted to them publicly their hypocrisy, how they missed the intention of the laws of God, which they so dutifully, dutifully observed. You know, in this situation here in Luke 15 is no different. The scribes and the Pharisees began to grumble about the company that he was keeping. He was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. You know, today... We have a slightly different relationship with the tax man. Most of us don't actually see a person. Most of us won't have somebody knock on your door to collect your taxes. 
Most of us, I assume, do CRA online net filing. And we often do it from our own computers and our own computer programs that we purchase. But a tax collector in this day was often a Jewish person who had been hired by the Romans to collect taxes on behalf of Rome. And often they were people that were kind of thieves. They would basically, here was what the taxes should be, and they charged this. And usually the spread there was a lot. Like they were, they were people that were cons considered just the scum of the earth, the people that took advantage of people. And they were business people with bad practices. They were cheats, and they stole from their own people. You know, the sinner, you know, this is basically today for, for the sake of, of explanation, whenever we hear the word sinner, the definition is going to be people that reject God, that choose to live in direct conflict with the plan that God has created people to live by. Did you know that, that God has a plan for your life? He has a plan and he knows the best way that we should be living, the way that will prosper us, the way that will give us um, the best things in life, a full life, a life to the fullest. And when we deviate from that plan, sometimes bad things happen and we don't live up to the potential that God has for us. You know, sinners are broken people who follow their brokenness and their hurtful humanity rather than trust and follow in God and his ways. If you're here this morning and you're somebody perhaps that fits into this category, you know, you're somebody who is paving your own path, making your own decisions, feeling like you don't need to be accountable to anybody but yourself. I want to tell you that this message is for you this morning. Um, if you're here and you are walking a path that you think is pretty good, this message is for you this morning. If you know Jesus and you love him intimately this morning, this message is for you. I'm going to continue to read this story here that we find in Luke 15. It says, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one who is lost until he finds it. Now, not too many of us are shepherds in this room, but how many of us are parents? How many of us are grandparents? How many of us are aunts and uncles that sometimes maybe watch our nieces and nephews? Maybe who, is there anybody here that's maybe watched the neighbor's kids, worked at a daycare, worked with children, supervised other people's children or your own children. Well, imagine that you are responsible for a group of children and you're watching them on July 1st and you decide we're going to take them down to the Canada Day Parade down at Kinnisu Beach. And you're down there watching the parade and all of a sudden you look down and one of the little ones is missing. It's a pretty horrific thing. If you've ever lost a child, you'll know the instant panic that you feel inside. And now I've never lost one of mine for good. There've been the odd times that I've turned around, they're not there and they just walked around the aisle or something. And so I've been blessed like that. But when you lose something that you dearly love, you'll do whatever you can to get it back. You will pursue that child. That might even mean leaving the group of children with somebody, hey, can you watch them while I go search for the other child? 
you know, there's safety in numbers. You know, when you got 10 children there and you leave, you leave them to, to quickly just scour to see if you can find the other, they're probably okay there. They're in a group. And that's, that's why we need to live life together in the church together because there's safety in numbers that when we are off on our own, it's so easy to be picked off by the enemy because we don't have people encouraging us, supporting us, lifting us up when we're down. And uh, it's a good thing to be walking and living life together through this Christian life. You know, the story here is a shepherd who leaves his herd of 99 to go in search of the one. I'll continue on. It says, when he found it, he laid it on his shoulders rejoicing. Now, I don't know if you've ever lost a child and that feeling that you've gotten when you found them again, but it's a pretty awesome feeling. And you don't even want to let them go again. You know, I think if I lost my kid, the first thing I'd probably be doing is picking them up and carrying them too. Here in this illustration, here comes the shepherd. He finds his lost sheep. What does he do? Does he say, oh, come follow me? No, he picks it up and throws it on his shoulders and carries it back to the herd, back to the other 99, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. A couple things that I felt like God wanted me to highlight this morning is one, that God cares for the individual. God cares for the individual. If you are here and you feel like one of those lost sheep, you do not have a relationship with God. You've wandered into a pasture and you're looking around and you're all by yourself. I want to tell you that God is pursuing you. He cares about every person and he desires that none should perish but that everyone would come to repentance. The shepherd in this parable is acting as any self-respecting shepherd should and would. He's going out to seek the lost until he finds it and he spares no effort and he spares no cost. And this is exactly what the Son of God did when he came into this world with the mission to seek and save the lost. He did it diligently, and he did not spare any expense. He paid it all for the pursuit of those whom he wanted to call back, back home. In the context of the local church, those in the church are not just sheep, they're family. Jesus is calling back sons and daughters, back to himself, because he is a good, good father, as we sing about often on Sunday mornings. Jesus said in John 10, 14 through 18, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has ever taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. You see, Jesus 
came. This is what we celebrated on Easter weekend, that Jesus was like a, a lamb brought to the slaughter. And he died for us so we could be reconciled back to the Father, that we could be one with God again, that we could come back into the family and know our Heavenly Father. You know, at this time, there were the people of Israel, the people that were set apart for the plans and purposes of God. And, and they were marked, and they were a holy special people. And here are some of the people in the flock. When Jesus came, he came to the Jewish people through the line of the Jewish people. And here we see he's saying that it's not exclusively a message that I bring just for the Jewish people, but there are all those outside of the Jewish lineage that, too, that, that I am here for, that I'm trying to bring back into my flock. Jesus is a good shepherd. And for all of us that have received Christ and have chosen to follow him, he came to lead us back into the fold. You know, Paul reiterates this amazing truth to the Colossian church in Colossians 2, 13, when he said, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death, consisting of decrees against us which were hostile towards us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You know, Paul here writing on circumcision of the flesh. Sometimes, if you're not familiar with Scripture, it might seem like a very unusual thing. But here, the Colossian church is largely a non-Jewish people. And so these people would not have been circumcised, mostly. And, you know, circumcision was a sign that God had given to the Jewish people, a mark of who they were surrendered to, of whose they were, which was his. And um, it was an outward sign of what should have been the commitment and, and internal commitment and covenant that they had with God. But here Paul is saying that it's not about the physical outward body modification that counts, but it's about what is happening in one's heart. And it's there that we are made alive in Christ. You know, the message... Um, paraphrase, puts it a little bit differently. It says this, entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in. You are insiders, not through some secret of initiation right, but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. You know, again, in Philippians 3, Paul writes, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Paul says, I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I'm a pure-blood citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I'm a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. 
For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, but rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. You know, so often, people try to get by on their goodness. You know, the most common thing that you often hear, and something that I used to believe before I, I met Jesus, was that I am a good person. And that if there is a God, that surely my goodness would be enough for God to grant me mercy. And I truly believe this, that I was a good person. And right from childhood, I'd always been told I was a good person. You know, I was always told, you know, you're, you're a good boy. You just sometimes do bad things. I know you mean well. But the problem is, is that there's not a single person who can live up to God's glorious standard. That all have sinned, all have fallen short. We all were born into a broken humanity and we have brokenness within, brokenness within us. And we've been separated from God. And Jesus is that bridge to bring us back to him. And it's through faith. It's not through our own righteousness, not through what we can do, not by obeying a set of rules, but it's by having faith, which is another word for trust. It's trusting in the person of Jesus, coming to know who he is and trusting that what he did on the cross wiped the slate clean for you and for me and that we can walk in relationship with God and know him personally and intimately. God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Our debt, church, is paid in full. Our sins are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. The old arrest warrant has been canceled and has been nailed to the cross. And if you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus and follow him this morning, Jesus is here, and he's available to you. His arms are open wide to you today. You know, the second thing that I wanted to point out here is that, he, that it says that there's rejoicing in all of heaven over the lost who was found. The one sinner who repents and comes back to God, all of heaven rejoices over. You know, the story illustrates Jesus' love for us and his commitment to us. And number three, this is a little different, but there's this element in this story of the shepherd leaving the 99 to go after the one. You know, they're left in the wilderness while the shepherd seeks the lost. Well, you could say the wilderness, but you know, the version that I said was pasture. He left them alone to go seek after the one. And again, when the sheep is found, a big celebration is made out of that one sheep's homecoming, yet little notice seems to be taken of the righteous and faithful sheep. <coughs> In the parable of the lost or prodigal son, the second son also has this complaint. He complains that there's a party and a banquet and a huge fuss made for this brother who has come home. There's one that's gone astray, but what about him? What about him who had stayed there and served his father the whole time, who didn't go astray, 
continue to be faithful to his father and not squander his father's money and his inheritance. You see, church, I believe that God is preparing us to move into a season of greater fulfillment of the Great Commission. He's calling us to love and to serve one another as we diligently share God's love in Jesus with those in our life that don't know him. You know, our mission as a church at CLCC is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We'll share God's love everywhere. And that means leading people to an authentic, life-changing relationship with Jesus. You see, God wants everyone, not just the Jews, not just us in this room, to know the rich and glorious secret of Christ, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. He's positioned us here to share the hope that we have with Jesus, with those in Cold Lake and everywhere we go. You know, when we are focused on our mission of sharing God's love and leading people to Jesus, it could seem as though we are somehow neglecting our home base because evangelism um, seems to be getting the focus and priority. But the thing is, is that when we begin to focus on this mission and we begin to walk in obedience to God, we ourselves begin to grow. When discipleship is happening, it's a relational process of one person living life with someone else, investing and sharing their life and what they know about the realities of the kingdom of God and investing that knowledge in with somebody else and walking in relationship with them. When that happens, it forces this unique type of community. You know, some people are lacking a sense of community. Some people are feeling isolated and alone. But when you lead somebody to Jesus and you walk with them, that sense of community begins to be shaped and formed. And I think sometimes the reason why we feel like we're in lack when we come to church is because we're not giving out. We're not living in authentic Christian community. We come and we attend and we feast on whatever we can get out of Sunday. And then we go live our life like everybody else. And we come and we're hungry every time we come to church. We don't have anything to give out because we're living on eating a meal once a week. And we're not being filled up by God every single day. When we lead somebody to Jesus, we begin to teach them what we know about Jesus and the reality of the kingdom of God as it's been revealed in our lives. And it'll force you to advance in your own faith. I don't know if you've ever led somebody to Jesus, if you've ever, ever taught the word to somebody. But there's a difference between opening the Bible and doing your own little personal devotion versus having to open it up and then teach the principle to somebody else. That step, that gap there, that tension, that learning is what we all need to grow. And when we don't have that, we just become Christian consumers. We consume, we consume, we consume, and that's where we can go to a thousand Christian conferences have notebooks filled with notes, but yet have very little enacted in our life because we become a treasure hold of knowledge, but we've created no measurable way to share that knowledge with others and invest it in other people to see that knowledge grow and come to fruition, come to a real life um, situation where it's actually being lived out. You know, we need to be more than just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And we do that when we are discipling others. It's a natural consequence of that. When discipleship is happening, a close and special sense of community 
will be the result. And it'll help you to know God better. As we place Christ at the center of our lives, reading and meditating on the word, being refreshed daily by the truth of his word, we can practice silence and stillness before God. And we can have a deeper faith. And we can know what it means to hear God's voice, be filled with the spirit, and walk by the spirit. The Christian life is more than just knowing about Jesus. It's knowing him personally. And then it's about aligning our life with the direction that the Holy Spirit guides us in, partnering with God to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven through us, through you. Colossians 2, 6-7 says, As you've received Christ, walk in him, having been firmly rooted, being built up and established in your faith. As you've received Christ, so walk in him. Church, today is a day, just as good as any other day, where you must choose to leave aside the superficial, once-a-week spirituality, and begin to pursue God every day, begin to seek after him. And you know what? When we do, God promises that we will find him. When we seek him, we will find him. It's a promise. It's a promise of God. Let's not talk the talk anymore without walking the walk. Let's not be satisfied with a dead form of religion of just doing church, looking great on the outside, but not ever really advancing and growing in your personal relationship with God. Let's not let that status quo be okay if it even is a status quo for you. Let's start truly committing to follow Jesus in every area of our life. Make him Lord of our entire lives. You know, the Bible says here that we need to be firmly rooted and established. That means we have a solid foundation. You know, it's interesting that sometimes we think we, get, we progress along and somehow we're farther along than we are. And sometimes we think that the foundational things, that we know them. And so we skip out on things like Alpha. We skip out on the the kind of elementary things that are taught here at the church. You know, what's interesting is when we sit at an alpha table and we do alpha, it's really eye-opening for me because you really begin to hear what's in people's heart, get to hear what their opinions are and what, what they know. And sometimes I'm surprised by, by the things that I assume that somebody knows and they don't because they've been in the church for a really long time or, or they've always seemed like a seasoned Christian to me. There are some elementary principles of the Word of God that, that to me seem basic, but then sometimes aren't. And then there's sometimes people say things, and they're sharing about, about what God has shown them, and I'm like, oh my goodness, how do I not know that? How is that not just the standard of my life? Because it's so clear to me now as they're saying that, that that is true, that that is what God has revealed through His Word. We can't bypass the process of spiritual growth. It's a process that we need to go on together as a family, as a church. Paul said, we proclaim Jesus, teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present him complete in Christ. Complete meaning mature. Or the New Living Translation says, perfect in their relationship with Christ. How do we walk with Jesus today? 
And is your relationship continually growing and being established? Or is it plateaued? New Colossians 3, 1 to 2. Paul says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things of above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things of above and not the things that are on the earth. We are to seek the things of above. To seek means to have an urgency, a desire, an ambition. In simple terms, it means that there should be an excitement and a passion for God. You know, I think we are a passionate people as Canadians. We're passionate about many things. Hockey, maple syrup. Yeah. I love maple syrup. We're big maple syrup lovers in our house. The, uh, what do you just call it? The, the corn syrup? Uh, that won't pass in the Macmillan household. But to seek means having this urgency, this desire, this passion for God. You know, we have passion in many things. You know, if, if any of you have ever been to uh, a sporting event, been to a hockey game, oh, there's passion. There's passion. You know, um, high-level sporting events, you know, such as the Olympics, we see men and women with a commitment and dedication and a passion that is absolutely life-consuming. These people, they give up so much of their youth and their life for a gold medal. They run the race hard. They seek after it hard. You know, we see this seeking when it comes to high-level sports, and we see it with passions and hobbies. You know, we, we have this passion for, if you're into hockey, sometimes your favorite player. You know, a lot of times I get into a conversation with the guys, and I'm not a huge hockey guy. I wish I was. Two things that I wish I was really interested in was, were cars and hockey. Because I feel like there's so many more conversations with some really interesting people I'd love to have that that would be a great icebreaker. But I know very little about either. And so sometimes that's disappointing to me. But I don't have enough passion to even go seek out anything more on that. That's the truth. I just don't care enough. Um, but when you talk to fans... Often they'll have their favorite player. They'll know their team diligently. They'll know the name of every player. They'll know their numbers. They'll know all their stats. You know, and then someone might give them a really hard question, like, what's your favorite scripture verse? <laughs> it might take them five minutes to come up with an answer. Because I can't even think of one. You know, it's, it's interesting that we memorize stats and goals and assists and, you know, and if we do these things, guys, then we should be able to memorize a few scriptures. We have it in us. You know, I bet you most of you in this room still remember your childhood phone number. Anybody? Yeah? It's ingrained in there. It's ingrained in there. We have the ability to memorize things, including God's word. If it's important enough to us, we will. Today, we've gotten lazy because we don't need to memorize phone numbers. We have a phone that holds our contacts, and we all know the emergency when our phone, we lose our phone and we need to call somebody, we don't have their number. How often I go up to people and ask for their number and they have to look up their own number because they don't even have their own number memorized. 
I'd say it's at least one in three, which is crazy to me, that you guys don't know your own numbers. I can understand if you just got a new phone number or something like yesterday, but, you know, some people have had the same phone number for 10 years and you still have to look it up on your phone. You know, um, if only we had the similar type of passion that we have for some of these things, for studying God's word, for discussing the things of above, for the realities of the kingdom of God that are in our midst. You know, Michael Phelps, you all know that name? He's a famous American swimmer. He's won many, many, many gold medals. And uh, a few years ago, I was watching a video of, of his training routines and things. And they had a new dietitian come onto their team. And he was looking over Michael Phelps' food and going over all his dietary plans. And he's like, whoa, 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 this makes no sense. Michael is eating way too much food. So the guy's getting out his calculator. He's doing all these calculations. They're measuring his metabolism rate. They're doing all sorts of things. He's calculating his new food plan. He's going to Michael and saying, this is your new stuff that you need to be eating. And he's like, that's not enough food. I need more food than that. That's not enough. You're putting me on a starvation diet. And they get into this back and forth. And then the dietitian learns a little bit more about Michael Phelps' training routine. Michael Phelps routinely trains in extremely cold water, water that's far colder than a pool that he would ever swim in in the Olympics. And as he conditions his body to swim in cold water, he burns calories like crazy. And so he consumes food like crazy, far more than a lot of other Olympic swimmers. And um, this dietitian was just talking about how blown away he was that he could eat those numbers of calories and have the physique that he has. Nothing like my physique right now, so no judgment. You know, I think for us, often our issue is not that we cons consume too much spiritual food. It's probably that we don't eat enough. It's not that we're eating enough of the things that we should be. You know, we're to set our minds on the things of above, the things of God, the Word of God. You know, on a little side note, a caution of replacing your God time and your Bible study strictly with prepackaged Bible studies and devotional books. You know, sometimes we can almost elevate a person and almost become like an idol in our life, you know? Um, you know, the purposes of these studies are great. They're to get us into the Word of God so that we can see and experience the living Christ through the Word. And there's no doubt in my mind that the best book that reveals the living Christ is the Bible itself. Um, and that's why we teach from it. And that's why many Bible teachers teach from the Word of God. But the problem sometimes is, is that, well, there's good studies and there's also bad studies, but that's not even the problem. The problem is that there's this process of opening the Word of God and digging into it and working through it yourself. And God revealing stuff to you and allowing the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, to guide you through the Scriptures and show you what you need to know. You know, sometimes if we only rely on Bible studies, someone else has already done that work. 
and we're getting to come in and just eat of the meal. We had no part in preparing the meal. And there's often something that's missed. It's like kids. I learned this with my own children. We started growing a garden a few years ago. And there were certain foods that people were telling me, oh, your kids probably won't like tomatoes. They might not like peppers. A lot of kids have issues with vegetables. And so Rhea grew up with a a vegetable garden in her backyard all the time. So we thought, well, let's start growing our own vegetables. So we got our kids involved in growing our own food in the backyard. And do you know what's amazing? Every single thing that our children have helped us to grow, they consume. They don't fight. They eat squash. They eat cucumbers. Everything that's grown in our garden that our kids have helped us to grow and cultivate, they eat. When all we get is the fast food version, we're missing out on part of the process. So don't shortcut your own personal Bible time. Don't shortcut that quiet time of meditating on God's word, of holding that tension in you that there's something that you don't understand that is weighing on you. That's okay. That process, that lack of understanding, allow God to show it to you. If we always have the prepackaged version, we're missing out on something that God might want to be developing and showing in you. Don't fail to gain the knowledge and understand by working through the Word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to be your guide. You know, another thing, another area that I think that will help us to effectively seek after the things of God and the things of above is to slow down. It's to slow down. Be intentional about slowing down our pace of life. It's hard for many of us, but it's something that I think is vital to our spiritual growth. You know, when we slow down, we become more aware of our spiritual health. We can become more aware of the presence of God in our life. And when we begin to develop disciplines in our life, such as the practice of silence, stillness, solitude, meditation, God reveals himself in very cool ways. You know, for many of us, it's difficult and even uncomfortable to sit in silence. You know, I think the truth is that when we slow down, that's when we can sometimes feel that angst, that internal noise within us that sometimes is even greater than the external noise around us. And it's uncomfortable. Some of you that live out in the country, you might be seeking that silence, seeking that privacy. But many of us fill our lives with so much busyness that we don't even know what's going on inside. Many of us get sick, and we've had so many things in our body indicating that there's something wrong, and we ignore it, ignore it, ignore it, until we find out we now have a cancer diagnosis or something, but yet there was maybe sometimes 10 things that if we had paid attention to, our body was telling us there was something out of whack. If we don't slow down, we miss things. If we don't slow down and learn to be still and be with God, we might feel this angst in our life because we're not really trusting and and seeking God the way we should. You know, business can be a distraction, intentional distraction, so that it doesn't expose the reality of our hearts and our internal condition. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Not be busy and squeeze me in on Sunday if you have time. You know, this, I think, these things, getting into God's word, 
living a balanced life and setting time that is non-negotiable that you give to God is our training in cold water. How is it that we can eat and eat and eat and still have a lean physique that's ready to win the gold medal? It's because we know Jesus. We consume his word. We're nourished by the right things. And we're filled by the Holy Spirit. You know, this time, this silence and stillness, this time of reading God's word is where we have communion with God, this oneness with God that we can actually experience. You know, this is, for some, a wilderness, a desert, a place where there's nothing between you and God and you can't hide your nakedness from God. You know, often we run, after, we run away from the wilderness oftenly, but it's interesting, in, in Luke 4, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Do you know that? That Jesus was led by the Spirit. And God had a purpose for Jesus being led into the wilderness. You know, it's interesting that the Holy Spirit led Christ there for a purpose. And I think God has a purpose for those desert moments in our life, for us to connect and trust and lean in on God. You know, hearing the truth that God loves you is awesome. But knowing in your heart that God really loves you and the reality of that transforms you, completely changes you. And it's good to know in your mind about God, about Jesus and the kingdom of God, but it's another to experience it, to be living it for yourself. And it's not enough to just know about Jesus. It's important to know about God. But what's most important is that we know him, the living Christ, the person of Jesus Christ who is alive and who wants to know you and invest in your life. You know, in Luke 3, Jesus is baptized. Luke 4, Jesus is filled with the Spirit and is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he's tempted for 40 days. After this season of solitude, fasting, and prayer, Jesus returns to Galilee, the Bible says, in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, some of us are, are seeking and, and hungry for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives but we're not willing to go through the season of testing. We're not willing to go into the wilderness, into the desert seasons with God. We're not willing to sit and be still and allow him to refine us, to burn away that stuff that's within us that shouldn't be there. You know, we've often become too dependent on studies, listening to teachings, and neglecting our alone time with God. Jesus often went alone to pray. And I believe that when we read the Gospels, when we hear about how often Jesus went off in the early morning to pray, would leave after an exhaustive time of ministry to go off by himself to pray and be with the Father, that it's a model for us that we should be following, that we should regularly be going off and being alone with God if we want to have a healthy and growing and a spiritual walk that will sustain us and bring life to our bodies, and to our spirits. We're called to live in communion with God, which means to be one with God. You know, life where we are in one with God and in tune with the Holy Spirit, one in which we're ready to respond in obedience to the voice of God, 
operating in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Last scripture here. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, I love how the Passion Translation, or paraphrase, puts Psalm 119, 105 to 112, and I want to read it for you as we come to near to the end here. It says, This truth-shining light guides me in my choices and decisions. The revelation of your word makes my pathway clear. To live my life by your righteous rules has been my holy and lifelong commitment. I'm bruised and broken, overwhelmed by it all. Breathe life into me again by your living word. Lord, receive my grateful thanks and teach me more of how I can please you. Even though my life hangs in the balance, I'll keep following you, what you've taught me, no matter what. The ungodly have done their best to throw me off track, but I'll not deviate from what you've told me to do. Everything you speak to me is my joyous treasure, filling my life with gladness. I have determined in my heart to obey whatever you say fully and forever. May this be the prayer of our lives also. You know, to close, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When we come together at church, that's what we do. We hear the word, we sing songs, we reflect on the goodness of God, and we sing about the goodness of God in our life. If we want to have a deep, satisfying relationship with God, we can't shortcut the process. It requires getting into God's word regularly. It means being still and resting in God means having some sort of um, Sabbath rhythm in your life, which basically means that you take time to get away to be with God. You sit in his presence, you meditate on his word, you study his word, and you rely on the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you don't consult with others. It doesn't mean that you don't you know, look up commentaries and read other Bible studies and use those also as a guide. But we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and he will reveal things to us. Read his word, meet with God daily, meet with the living Christ, and learn to hear the shepherd's voice. Father, I thank you this morning. God, I thank you, Lord, for your love. God, I thank you, Lord, that you came, God, so that none would perish. God, I pray, Lord, this morning, Lord, that we would turn our ear to you. God, that we would take an evaluation of our life. And God, that we would not allow ourselves to default to being Sunday morning Christians. But Lord, we would prioritize you and our time with you and make that non-negotiable every week. Lord, that we would set time that we would get into your word, that we would sit before a sunrise, that we'd go out in, in nature, be alone just with you, God, I thank you how your invisible qualities are revealed through creation. God, there's so many things that demonstrate your goodness and your glory to us. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would be aware of those things, that we would be attuned to those things. 
And God, I think like 30 times or something in the short book of Colossians, you say to be thankful. Paul says to be thankful. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would be thankful. God, that we would have a heart, God, that is thankful to you for all that you do and all that you've done. Lord, I pray, God, for those who are part of your fold. God, those who are part of your flock already. But God, are struggling to hear your voice. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to them, that they'd be with more clarity. And God, that they would discover the richness and the fullness of your word and how you speak through it. And God, I pray for those that are not part of your flock right now. God, those who, who are a sheep without a shepherd, perhaps a sheep that believe that they don't need a shepherd. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd give them a a spiritual hug this morning, God, that they would know how much they are loved by you. Lord, that they would know that you are pursuing them and seeking them out. And God, you're calling them home. Calling them home to be with the family. To know you as a heavenly father and to know the son whom you sent. To walk, receive eternal life and the hope of Christ forevermore. So God, I thank you and I praise you. God, I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today, God, that has not received you, that does not know you, that that wants to, Lord, that they would come up and we'd have the opportunity to pray with them with our prayer team and show them what it means to walk in relationship with Jesus and walk with them through the beginning parts of this journey with them. So God, I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.